Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Glad you're all here. Thanks for making it, even though Glenn's not here. It's always a little funky for all of us, including me, when Glenn's not here. Um, For those of you who don't know me, which is unlikely, my name is Tucker. I'm the assistant pastor here at Cascade. Um, I'm taking a bit of a different... uh, approach this morning uh, with, with where we're at in our teaching series. Glenn's been going through uh, the book of Luke for the last um, million years, and um, I don't slurp, in case you were wondering. I also have that working towards my benefit, and that's about where my talents stop, and Glenn's are still uh, more. Uh, so we're, we're going to stay in Luke today, but we're going to take a, uh, a, a step back. We're going we're gonna to revisit Luke chapter 7. Um, and something that's just been on my heart, uh, and it's something that recently uh, I felt kind of brew to overflow, at least for me, is this concept of, of a life poured out. And so that's, that's the title of our, of our talk today, is A Life Poured Out. Um, and so we're going to jump right into Luke 7, but first I'll pray, and then we'll just get into it. Sound good? Awesome. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity just to be here together as family and community. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we pray that you would manifest your presence right now. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. It's not about lights or sounds or cool music. Um, ultimately, it's just about engaging with you, God. We use all these other things, preaching, teaching, hospitality, worship, music, all of it, just, just to engage more with your presence, just to make more space to connect with you, God. So would you come? Yeah. Would you make yourself known? We love you and we trust you, Jesus' name. All right, Luke 7. Luke 7, we're uh, at verse 36. Um, For those of you who are interested, I am using the Passion Translation, which is a little bit of a newer one. My wife loves this translation of the Bible, which is part of why I'm doing it. Um, If you want to score brownie points, husbands, pro tip. All right, uh, Luke 7, chapter 36. Afterward, it's going to be up on the screen too. Afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of a sinful woman is touching him. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it, he answered. 
It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other one only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. Heavy, really heavy, really good. Um, fast forward into Luke 10, um, and we find out uh, in John if you guys ever want to do a little Bible study or whatever, um, in the book of John, the woman uh, inside of the uh, inside of Simon's house is uh, Mary uh, from Martha and Mary, Mary Magdalene. And so, uh, fast forward to chapter ten, and Jesus is visiting Mary and Martha in their home. Uh, they were the sisters of Lazarus, um, and so this is uh, Jesus on his way back uh, to Jerusalem, I believe, um, and. We drop in uh, chapter 10, verse 38. Thank you. Yep, I should just be looking up at the screen. I'm just going to do that. There we go. Jesus, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. Oh, looks like I lost one of my slides. That's all right. Well, now we do need to go back to this thing. Thank you. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled? Pull away by all these many distractions. Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take this privilege away from her. I know a lot of us have heard this story. A lot of us have heard both stories. A lot of us have heard about um, Mary weeping at Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair and pouring the oil and whatever else. And then this story about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus while Martha does all the work. And we do this whole thing of like, are you a Mary or are you a Martha? And like, it's a classic thing in the church all the time. It's like, you have such a Martha spirit. You need to be more of a Mary. And like, you all know what I'm talking about. This has been a thing. And that's real, but that's not the overarching theme of what that means. I think it's bigger. And so when we talk about a life poured out, what, I, what I'm looking at is between chapter 7 and chapter 10, on the first occasion when Mary uh, first encounters Jesus, she's crying at Jesus' feet because of the weight and the, the heaviness of her, of her burden of sin and, and just where life has 
put her, where she's at in her life, what she's experienced, that weightiness of, of just feeling bogged down by the things going on in her own world. She's considered a prostitute, recognizing the weight of what that has meant relationally, what that might mean in her, uh, her family life, what that might mean along with the culture and society that she lives in. And so all this has come to a tipping point where she hears that Jesus is in town. And so she goes into some strange man's house, no care, no regard whatsoever for the consequence or the fact that she's not really familiar with who those people are. And she begins to weep at Jesus' feet. So on our first occasion, she goes to the feet of Jesus. What's interesting about this action is that she then per, she pours out the, the perfume, the alabaster, her, her, her finest, right? Her, her nicest uh, bottle of perfume. But first, the first act of it was getting on her knees and crying at the feet of Jesus. She started at a posture of everything going on in here, inside, in her heart, and in her life. The pouring out process wasn't the perfume. The pouring out process started when she was at Jesus' feet. The, the perfume being poured out is almost an afterthought. It's almost a given. Because at this point, she's encountered Jesus. She's at his feet. She's crying at his feet. He starts talking about you know, the kind of worship and adoration that she's displaying to him while all of these super religious, um, you know, Pharisees who think they've got it all figured out have done nothing to express any kind of worship to him at all. And then she pours out the alabaster, the alabaster perfume as if it was just like a automatic given. It was an expectation, right? Um, she, once she had poured out what was going on inside of her, the external stuff was really easy to give away. And I think that we are in a place uh, in our church, but also in culture today, where we are so uh, attached to our things and attached to the idea of how we want our life to look, uh, myself included for sure. Like sitting here, Zoe and I want to try and buy a house in the next year or so. That's going to be like, I'm really attached to these ideas of what I want my life to look like. And it's really hard for me to let go of them unless I have been spending time and, I, and I, I lay out and pour out whatever's going on inside me at the feet of Jesus. And that's what we find here with Mary. She's not, it's not about qualification. She didn't do anything to earn it. She sought God. She sought after Jesus. She heard Jesus was in town. She said, I got to make it happen. There wasn't any pre, presupposition. There wasn't uh, you know, pre-qualifying thing. There wasn't a job application. It was Jesus in town. I got to go find him. I got to go find him. And I got to lay it all at his feet. And then the organic response, once her heart was poured out, she, she poured out everything going on in her life at the feet of Jesus. The organic response was all these other things in my life follow suit. The nicest thing I could own, the nicest stuff I have, my biggest dreams and aspirations, whatever it is that I want to do is ultimately subject to my life being poured out at Jesus' feet. Again, it was almost a given. It was just this, for Mary, once she had laid herself bare at Jesus' feet with her emotions and all the stuff going on, and Jesus doesn't even technically know, like it's not like she's told him a bunch of stuff that's going on with her life. She's just in, in, a, in an act of worship, in an act of faith, laid it all out. 
and then the alabaster, and then the perfume. And then it's just, an, it's just a given. And then on the second occasion, in Luke 10, when Jesus visits Mary and Martha's house, here's what's really cool. It never changes. Mary's posture doesn't change all of a sudden. I would imagine I, I could have done the research and I didn't, so my apologies. I don't know how much time there was between the, the occasion in, in Luke 7 and the occasion in Luke 10. I would imagine a few months, maybe a year. Um, but I would imagine between those two experiences, a lot's probably changed in Mary's life. She's seen Lazarus raised from the dead, that's her brother. She, uh, she had her whole moment with Jesus uh, in the Pharisee's house. I imagine there's been some life changes, probably. Probably a few different career choice changes, probably a different couple changes in who she has relationships with just in general. So I imagine things are probably going better emotionally and internally because that's what happens when you encounter Jesus is things start to, whether they get better in the physical realm or you just start to feel peace and hope again in some of the things that you felt lost and broken in, whatever it might be, that's probably going on. But Mary's response when Jesus shows up is still a posture of sitting at his feet. And this is what I mean when I'm talking about a life poured out, because it's really easy, and a lot of us, because I think I know most of you in this room pretty well, a lot of us have had mountaintop experiences and a lot of our Christian faith when we've decided to follow Jesus for ourselves, not our parents' faith, not the church we grew up in faith, like for, our, for us, for our own encounter with Jesus, it started with like a really high mountaintop experience of some kind. Like I know it did for me. There was a couple different times at 15, 16, 17 years old where I had these huge mountaintop experiences that radically changed the way that I was trying to pursue Jesus in my life. Where everything gets start to get, where I start to get caught up, when, especially when I was younger, is this aspect of still coming back to the feet of Jesus. It was really easy on the mountaintop experience when you've bottled up all that brokenness and all the things going on and you're carrying a lot of weight and we're carrying all this stuff that's happening in life and then you go and you spill it out at the feet of Jesus. But coming back the next time, there's no, uh, nothing's alluded to in Luke 10 about something dramatically going on with with Mary. We don't have this preface of Mary still being a prostitute. We don't have this story of something's going horribly wrong in Mary's life. No, Jesus shows up and Mary's response just organically is to sit at his feet. And it's this response that I think captures what I, what I mean when I talk about a life poured out. Because we have a lot of moments throughout our lives especially early on in our faith of following Jesus, where there's big spiritual high moments and there's really big emotional moments with God that change us. And I love those moments. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer and a big proponent in creating space for those moments. I want, that to be, I want there to be space for that moment every time we gather on a Sunday, anytime we're together in small group. I always wanna make space for that moment to encounter Jesus in a radical and new way. I believe it's so necessary. I believe it must happen. I, I believe it needs to happen more, frankly, for all of us, for myself included. It's been something weighing on my heart for me personally to encounter Jesus in a real way more. I can't just go off of my experience when I was 18. I can't just go off of the last conference I went to. And I can't just go off of serving at church and expecting that to be enough either. A lot of us here in this church serve three to four weeks a month, which is just about every week, if that math checks out. It would be so easy to get burnt out. It will be easy to get burnt out 
if we are not encountering and experiencing Jesus over and over again, if we're not sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary over and over again. So I know I made fun of the Mary Martha thing, but it's super real. Martha has experienced Jesus in similar and same situations or just as many times as Mary. But the response when Jesus shows up is frankly a lot like what I've done at various times and periods of being at this church where it's the Lord's home, God's house, the presence of God is here, whatever, and I'm too busy washing dishes or I'm too busy setting up cables. I'm too busy practicing drums. I'm too busy even studying the Bible can become a distraction rather like a hindrance more than like actually just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because if I'm doing it out of just a place of work, out of, well, I got to teach this lesson at youth this week, which I, that happened a lot for me, where I had to make myself prep when I wasn't feeling it. And that's part of the job. Like that's, part, that, that's how it goes. But all of that's for not if we're not regularly sitting at the feet of Jesus and encountering him. So that's why Mary's example is so profound because she has had this huge life transformation, but her response is so sweet. And Jesus, Jesus even says it. Uh, when you go back to that previous slide, I'm at the very end of Luke 10. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She's undistracted and I won't take this privilege from her. He's saying she figured it out. All this other stuff is necessary. I'm not saying ignore work. I'm not saying ignore the things that you got to get done. But man, if it's not rooted in sitting at the feet of Jesus first, you're either going to get burnt out or it's really just not for a whole lot. That's why when we gather on Sundays, even this morning, when we're singing those songs, man, I, like, I, can't, I don't know how, how to put it into words, the necessity to make space to encounter God. I understand that we are not always going to feel it. And I can understand that there are dark nights of the soul. I'm a big proponent of our theology in the vineyard of now and not yet and living in tension. But man, there's a a hope that we've got to have even when we're not feeling it. Mary had a hope even, there's not one mention of what she's feeling at all in this text when she sits at Jesus' feet. But you know what her response was? It didn't matter what she felt like because her response was to sit at Jesus' feet. And to me, that's the most important thing. Martha got all caught up in her feelings, quite literally. Why are you upset and troubled? And Jesus' response is, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? And the life poured out, just, it's not just in service. I love the church. I love our church. I love the people in our church because we have so many people who are willing to serve on a broad spectrum. Our young people, our people that are parents, our people that are in retirement, all of them. We have such a broad variety of people in our church who are so willing to serve. We cover a lot of different generational stuff. But man, my main concern is if we care most about sitting at Jesus' feet. Because I've seen a lot of people in our church over the last five years burn out because we haven't made space. Like as a community, this is a group responsibility. This isn't like, oh, this is on you and on you. Like this is a group responsibility as much as it's an individual one. And so my challenge today is that we make space to encounter God and make that our priority. 
that our service is really just an overflowing function of our life poured out to him. That the stuff going on inside of us, emotionally, um, mentally, physically, the ailments, the things that are weighing us down, the things that suck, the things that are sinful, those would be the things that we lay at Jesus' feet time and again, time and again. And if, there's, if things are going really good right now, that's okay, just sit at his feet. Just sit at his feet. And if you want to go back to that last slide one more time for me, Emmy, thank you. Uh, maybe the slide before. <laughs> no, it's okay, never mind. Uh, it's all good. The, the, the overarching point of what I'm trying to say is that when we sit at his feet, he'll, he'll move, he'll speak. We don't have to be broken or we can be. We can bring lots of stuff or we can bring nothing. Whatever's going on with your life, if we bring it to the feet of Jesus, he's there with us. He's there in the middle of it with us. He's there to celebrate our joys and our triumphs and he's there to grieve and mourn. He's there, he's there in loss. He was with Mary and Martha in loss. <laughs> he was with Mary and Martha when Mary's doing better. He's there with Martha when she's getting anxiety about hosting him. And there's no space where Jesus won't be in with us. But for us, it starts, our life poured out starts with sitting at his feet. It starts there. Because he's, he's ready and willing. All right, now I'm ready for that. All right, thoughts to leave with. I'm, man, I did a really good job of clock management today. All right, thoughts to leave with. Um, question number one, have we poured out the weight and burdens we carry at Jesus' feet even if it may get messy, scary, and challenging. What do I mean by this? Have you guys ever spilt like a Coke bottle or like soda or something? Like you knock it down. My parents used to call it the big fish. So when I was like growing up, we'd be able to go to a restaurant and I had this terrible habit of putting my cup of whatever I was drinking on the very edge of the table all the time, whether it was on to the side or right in front of me. And too many times as a kid, I would knock it over and spill it everywhere. Like not just on the table, all over the floor, all over me, whoever's sitting next to me. So my parents started using the big fish. And they're like, if we can do this and it knocks over the cup, then that means your cup's too far to the edge or something like that. I was like, all right, fair enough. So you guys know what I'm talking about. And you make this big old mess everywhere, right? And when Mary spills that perfume bottle, it's a really beautiful image, right? Uh, the picture in our head is fabulous. But I mean, have you ever spilt perfume? It's messy. It's messy. It's, when you spill soda, it's messy. It gets everywhere. You think it's a smaller mess than it is, and then you realize it's not. Then you got stains to get out, and there's like a lot more work that goes into something being spilt. And that's not projected in our text at all, but that's reality. Like the reality is when you spill something, it goes everywhere. It's all over the place. You can't really control where it goes. This is what I mean by have we poured it out and why this is a challenge for us. Because when we pour out what's going on inside of us at the feet of Jesus and with one another and in the presence of Jesus, it might get messy. We're gonna spill it out. We're not totally sure where it's gonna go. We're not totally sure what it's gonna lead to. Not totally sure what the cleanup routine is and how, like, how far it's gonna seep into stuff. And we might even find out, oh shoot, this has actually seeped into all these other parts of my life that I didn't know about. I could sit here for another 30 minutes and talk about the personal testimony of the things that I found out 
were going on inside me at 17 and 18 years old once I just spilled my heart out to somebody and spilled it out at the feet of Jesus. When I found somebody that would spend time with me and work it through with it, work through that with me, along with being in the presence of Jesus, I found out just how much my stuff seeped into all these other things. So have we poured out the weight and burdens we carry at Jesus' feet, even if it may get messy, scary, or challenging? The second one is when we gather, are we doing so with the intent to encounter Jesus or just to serve in his house? And what I mean by this, and it's a challenge for me too, when I come on Sunday, nothing was better today than, by the way, than being here and not having to play. Like, like I love playing. Don't get me wrong. Like, ask, ask some of my closest friends, ask Zoe. I love playing. I love being on the worship team. But there's nothing better about the challenge of having to disengage my mind from worship leader, musician mode, and having to just worship and put it all on the line. It's just different. It's just different. I still, feel, I still worship when I'm on the drum kit or when I play guitar or when I have to lead worship, but the, like what my, my frame of mind has to change when I'm just out here. And it's the best thing because I barely know how to do it, right? Like I, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new world for me more often than not now. And it, it challenges me to prioritize sitting at Jesus' feet over, the, over all the work that I would normally go into. How does it sound? What's the DB level at? I know a lot of you probably asked that. Uh, you know, yeah, what's the DB level at? Do the drums sound good? Are they too muddy? Are they tuned? You know, how's the guitar tone? Do Kyle and Elijah sound really good today? Man, Zoe can sing. You know, all this stuff I can easily get distracted with. And trust me, I do. It's almost the first thing I think about when I walk in. I've done this for so long, especially the worship team thing. I've done this for a long time. It's, I have to like, engage my mind and on purpose turn off the switch that goes into that mode. But it's the best because the challenge is, am I encountering Jesus? Am I here to encounter Jesus or just to do church and to do this thing? And I say that a lot, and I'm sure some of you are sick and tired of me saying it, but I just really believe that there is an energy for us and a hopefulness waiting for us in how we engage God when we gather, whether it's here on a Sunday or if it's a small group or even you just hang out with some friends from here at this church outside of it. I just think, I just think there's something to it. There's just something to get excited about when we gather. And we've tried to become so cool all the time. I'm talking to everybody, but honestly, my friends and my peers, we try and make Christianity so cool and so da- we downplay it so much to the point of like, well, I'm a, I, like, yeah, I love Jesus and I'll be expressive, but I don't want to be weird and I don't want to be overly charismatic and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, then don't be weird. That's fine. Don't be weird. That's Glenn's normal advice. Just don't be weird. But also, but also be like, if you're in love with Jesus and encountering Jesus, be yourself. Like the best thing that'll happen when we sit at the feet of Jesus is that when we are being ourselves, it'll naturally radiate to people. It'll make sense. It'll click. There'll be a hopefulness. There'll be an excitedness. We'll know how to, when something goes wrong, we'll be the best people at grieving. We'll know how to grieve. We'll know how to sit in it. We'll know how to sit in sadness, but we'll also know how to be joyful. We'll also know how to have hope. We'll also know how to be um, living in tension, right? So again, the last challenge. When we gather, are we doing so with the intent to encounter Jesus or just to serve in his house? I'm gonna bring the worship team back up and I will try and get this thing wrapped up ASAP Rocky. Um, 
this might be might feel like uh what's the right word I'll rephrase i might make i might have upset some of you um i've done it before at this point i'm no longer worried about it um as in my feelings won't be hurt if you're upset i will gladly talk to you i will gladly um sit down with you for a cup of coffee or lunch and if there's something you don't like or you know you're experiencing something different and i'm shooting a total airball here and you feel like you need to tell me that's okay like i'm okay with that uh i can sh- i'm very i'm 26 i know i'm going to shoot a lot of airballs like that's okay uh, but I really think this is where we're at with our church. I, I really think this is a space where we're at. We're right on the cusp of something. I can't put it into words. Does anyone else feel that way? I think a few of these people behind me. But like, I, like, I feel like we're right, on, like right around the corner from something, from God doing something. I don't know what. I don't, numerical growth would be cool, but that's not what it's all about. But I do feel like we're around the corner from something. We're just right on it. And I feel like things like this, the reprioritizing of a sitting at his feet, pouring our life out, starting inside first, revisiting that idea of, man, it all starts with what's going on inside me and what I'm giving to him. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.